Morning, everybody. Happy Easter. Thank you. Great to be here with you this morning. I want to say hello to those of you joining us by video right now, too, if you're in our traditional sanctuary, or maybe you're checking this out online. I'm glad you're there. We have some important things to learn today. We are together today to celebrate and to learn and understand the meaning of the story of the moment, the day when God changed the world, when God changed the history of the world forever and continues by the same story and by the same power to change our lives, yours and mine. I want to begin by asking you a question. I got a question I'm going to come back to over the course of the message today a couple times, and you can start thinking about it right now. Here's, here's the question. Do you think, do you believe about yourself? Do you believe that there is more to you than meets the eye? Is there more to who you are than is presently visible to people on the outside? And if you believe such a crazy thing as that, why is that there? And how will it ever come out? Let me tell you a little story. There's a story about, about that and about a guy that I knew, a friend of mine, a number of years ago now. It's hard to believe for as young as I am that this could have happened. Almost 20 years ago, I had a friend. His name was Joe. And over the years, Joe and I have lost touch. We fell out of communication years ago. But for a short season of life, Joe was a good friend. He was a, a generation older than me, and we had a lot of different life experiences. He actually kind of became sort of a, an informal mentor to me for a short season in my life. And it was one of those things where we kind of hit it off. We just sort of got each other. You know, people who react to things like you react and think like you think. And we just had a lot in common. But one of the things that Joe and I did not have in common at all was how we started our days, kind of our morning routines, all right? If, if people who know me will tell you that I have never been confused for a patient person, right? Not, not so much. And that is never more true than in the morning. When I get up in the morning, my feet hit the ground running. If, if I don't, if it takes longer than five minutes for my shower, it's too long, I'm already off to a bad start on the day, and I may actually time it, you know what I mean? If it takes me more than 30 minutes to go from the time that my alarm goes off to the time that I'm engaging the day out the front door, it is already a bad start to my day. That's just kind of how I am. That's kind of how I'm made or how, what I learned about life. I don't know, something like that. Joe, totally different, all right? Now, during the day, if you met him, you, you would find somebody who was driven, ambitious, action-oriented, really bright guy. He had been very successful in his career. He had a long career, a sort of long career in finance. He'd made a bunch of money. At about 45, 50 years old, kind of mid-career, he decided, I've had enough of that. I'm ready to do something different. He wanted to do something that made more of a, kind of on the front lines, serving his community, made a more direct impact. So he became a police officer for the last part of his career and served his neighborhood. Real interesting dude. In the mornings, you would not have known him, right? He told me, and I was actually never there to see it, but he told me that when he would get up in the morning, he'd scrape himself off the bed and stumble around and try to find the doorknob to the bathroom and turn on whatever makes that liquid come out of the shower, the water, that's what it's called, you know, like... He was like a zombie, more, more creature, more animal than human. And he told me, here's the difference between you and me in the morning. When you take a shower to you, it's just a shower. To me, it's like a rehumanization chamber. <laughs> you know those moments when somebody says something that's truer than they realized, right? You know, do you ever need that? Like, and maybe it's actually that way in the morning for you. We all do it differently. But at a deeper level... You ever think you could use a rehumanization chamber, <laughs> something to start again? Or like, what about for like our society? What about for community? What about more largely? Could we use a rehumanization chamber? 
I think, I've experienced, I think that we are divided about what it means to be human. We got two different minds about this. Let me ask you, do you, what do you call that organization of people? What do you call that, that group of people who practices kindness and compassion and cares for vulnerable and abandoned animals and tries to make sure they have a better future or they find new homes? We call that the humane society, right? I mean, that's what we're like. That's what we aspire to be. Or if you go to college or to a university, there's a whole like discipline, there's a whole field of arts and language and philosophy and literature and things that are meant to like inspire the soul and improve our existence. And we call them the humanities, right? right? Or if somebody is cruel and mean and vicious, you could say they are positively inhuman, right? Because we've got this optimistic side. On the one hand, we've got this high view of what it's like to be human, a really hopeful side, right? But there's another side, isn't there, that we kind of learn in the school of hard knocks, that we learn by experience, right? What if I, like, I mess up, and I, I don't think I'm, I didn't get it right, and I don't know if I'm ever going to get it right, and I need you to cut me some slack because I really just keep messing up. I will say to you after I screw up, I will say, well, don't blame me. I'm only human, right? We've got this pessimistic side about us, too. So on the one hand, we've got that we, we, we know there's more, right? There's, it's like it's echoing around inside of our souls, but we're not sure it's ever going to come out. Are we ever going to hear where the echo came from? About five or ten years ago, I had the chance, I was standing beside this beautiful lake up in northern Minnesota. You know, have you ever been up there in the beauty, and it's just so quiet and peaceful, and it feels kind of kind of rehumanizing, I guess. And I was, I was standing by the shore of this lake and it was just glassy still and, and it was real quiet and there was a little bit of mist on the water and it was just, it was silent, right? The only noise I could hear were the toddlers that I had brought along with me into this environment. <laughs> but, but in the moments when they were quiet, it was just still. And, and we, we played this game, actually. If I would call out with my voice or clap my hands or something, you know what would happen. I could hear the echo reverberate. There was a hillside across the lake, right? And it would reverberate back and forth across the lake. And one of those rare times where not just once, but kind of over and over again, this long, clear, reverberating echo. I think so much so that if you had come up right after, right after I had made that sound and you didn't see me do it or hear, but you heard the echo, you could hear it still going. You'd be like, did you say something? Where did that come from? I know there must be more, right? It's echoing around inside our souls like we didn't hear the original thing, but it's there. We know it's there. Or have you ever you had that experience where there's a song in your head and it's just a few notes of the melody or a few words from the lyrics and there's more to it and you're just, it's infuriating. What's the rest of that song? I, I know it, but I don't know it. There must be more to it. You know what they call that, the expression for that? Have you ever heard this gross expression, the earworm, right? Yeah, it's just in there, but you can't quite get the whole song. Where does that come from? The story of the Bible starts with a story of creation. This is a beautiful story about a God who made the world. A God, a God it's a story, a, a poetic story about a seven-day week. And it says that on the first day of the week, before it was still dark, before there was any light, God began to create the world. And they're in the garden, right? And he calls forth first light and plants and animals and humanity. And it's a story that can mean lots of different things. A powerful story can be interpreted lots of different ways. But whatever else that story means, it means that we were created for good. It means that we were created for more, right? It means that we were, we were created to, to know God, to be in relationship with God, to be alive in our souls, 
to live in this peaceful, whole relationship with other human beings, to live serving God in God's world, means that we are made for more. We were made for harmony, but we've fallen into noise. We were made for the song, but all we've got is the echo ringing around in our ears. I want to show you something from the story of Jesus' life. It's from the story of Jesus' life as told to us in the, in the Gospel of John. And it's got both a pessimistic side to humanity and also the hopeful side. And, and the pessimistic side comes first. It's real early in the Gospel of John. It's in chapter 2, right? Real near the beginning. And I'm not going to read you the whole thing right now, but at, at the end of the second chapter, at the end of chapter 2, Jesus has just done this big impressive thing and out in public and all the crowds are responding. But Jesus is not going to get himself caught up in the energy of the crowd. And the Gospel writer John tells us, Jesus was careful. He would not entrust himself to the crowds. And the next line tells us why. Jesus would not entrust himself to the crowds because he knew what was in humanity. And he didn't need anyone to testify to him about humanity, for he knew what was in every human. That's kind of pessimistic. And the very next line that starts the next story says, and there was this human. And his name was Nicodemus, and he came to Jesus in the dark at night, and he had some questions, and he was real confused. And the whole story is just all full of confusion, and he doesn't get it. That's like the pessimistic side, right? Jesus wouldn't entrust himself because he knew what was in humanity. But then there's this other part. There's this hopeful part, and it actually happens in the story that you think should be the dark part of the story, but it's actually the light part. Jesus is on trial. He's on trial before Governor Pilate. He's standing in the trial that is going to end in his sentencing, in his sentencing to execution by crucifixion. And in the middle of that trial, Governor Pilate kind of steps aside, I imagine, and he calls Jesus out from, he was in the back, and he calls Jesus out in front of the crowds that are gathered. And he says, behold the human, except hardly any of our translations get that. Some of them say something real simple, like, look, here he is. <laughs> Or many of them say, behold the man, all of, which is, all of which is fine and good. But they kind of miss this thing that the gospel writer John is trying to tell us that Jesus, in his love, in his sacrifice, is the truly human one. That Jesus is the one who knows God, who is God, who shows us God, who teaches us and leads us and empowers us to live in peace and wholeness with other people, who leads us and teaches us and empowers us to serve God in God's world, the truly human one who makes us human again. You know what they do to him in that story, right? They sentence him. They execute him. They crucify him. They kill him. And they lay him in the ground. It's the events that brought us through this weekend to this morning, to this day. And he's buried in the tomb. But have you heard what happens next? Have you heard that God raised him from the dead? He didn't stay dead. Maybe you would have or I would have if this had never happened. But humanity was not made to die. Humanity was not made for death. It was made for life. The Bible teaches us it's the result of sin that is death. But God raised Jesus from the dead. And in the story that we hear in the Gospel of John, of the story of Jesus' resurrection, that we heard read in all of our worship venues this morning, it's like the echoes are coming back. It's echoes of Eden in the story of resurrection. It says there in John chapter 20 that in the garden outside the tomb, early in the morning, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark before there was any light, that God rebooted humanity. That it was early in the morning on the first day of the week in the garden outside the tomb before there was any light. That God, just as he had formed the first Adam from the dust of the earth, so he called forth the second Adam from a hole in the earth, from a tomb. And he raised him from the dead and began the new creation where not even death is certain anymore. And Jesus triumphed over the grave.
there actually is a rehumanization chamber. There actually is a rehumanization chamber, and it's the empty tomb of Jesus. It is the love of God for us. It is the empty tomb of Jesus who came to us and offered us to start on a whole new life for you and for me, but not just for you and for me, but for the world, for a community of people learning to walk his way together. Let me show you one more thing. And you might think I'm a little weird on this, but if you just stick with me for a second, all right? Now, I will tell you about a month ago, I went and I saw a movie, all right? Do you guys, what movie is this? Here's the picture. You'll see the movie, right? You've heard of this one? Anybody heard of that movie before? Beauty and the Beast. One of the biggest opening box office weekends ever. I got to fess up. I'm not exactly what you would call a Disney musical kind of guy, right? Okay. But I did go and see this. Any kids who were here, maybe you saw this movie, right? I went and saw this with some friends and our families and we went and we saw Beauty and the Beast. Now, this is an interesting movie. There's more, there's more here than meets the eye, all right? There's a, here's one of the famous characters in the movie right up here, all right? That's the beast, right? He's ugly and vicious and mean, but he wasn't always that way. This guy has a backstory. He was a human. He was a prince. He was handsome and wealthy and Mr. Wonderful, right? And he's throwing all these great parties for all the beautiful people of the realm. And one night he's throwing this party. He's full of greed and shallowness. And he's throwing this party for all the rest of the beautiful people. And a woman comes to the door, this old woman, far too unattractive for his standards. And she comes and she's asking to be let in out of the storm. She's asking for an act of kindness. And he refuses her. And she offers him this single beautiful rose in exchange for some care, some humane treatment. But he turns her away. Her name, by the way, you might remember, her name is Agatha, which, which you may not know is actually the biblical New Testament word for goodness. Huh? And he turns away goodness, and he becomes less human, and he becomes beastly. Right? That's the beast. But then there's this other guy, right, in the story. And what, you know, what, what's his name right there? What's his name? His name is Gaston, right? And he is a human. In fact, he is the perfect specimen of a man. He is, he is handsome, and he is strong. He is large and in charge. In fact, did you know that when he was a lad, he ate four dozen eggs every morning just to help him get large, right? And now that he's grown, he eats five dozen eggs, so he's roughly the size of a barge. That's Gaston. <laughs> but like most people who project overconfidence, Gaston is driven by fear and insecurity. And he's willing to hurt the weak to advance his own agenda. And he's willing to lie to protect himself. And kind of late in the story, we see how he plays on the fears of the townspeople and stirs them up into this angry, inhuman mob, this vigilante mob. But there's more to the story than these two guys. There is the hero of the story, Belle, right? And Belle's name means beautiful, right? But her beauty is not meant to be beauty on the outside. Hollywood cannot help themselves. They have to cast beautiful people, right? But the beauty of Belle in the story is the beauty of her true humanity. She lives by selfless and sacrificial love. And maybe the, the first place we really see this is when her father has been imprisoned by the beast and she sets him free. She trades places with him. She goes in prison for him to set him free, right? And then she makes a break for it, right? Her love, her sacrifice for her father both confuses and inspires the beast. And when she makes a break for it, she tries to escape, she gets in trouble and she is in danger. And the beast sacrifices for her to try to protect her. And then because he is wounded in that action, she returns the favor and she cares for him. And it is in the process 
of being loved. It is in the experience of being loved and learning what it is to love selflessly that the beast becomes human again. Right? Now, seriously, I don't care if you like Disney musicals. I'm not trying to make another buck for Disney, I promise you that. But this is my point. I think that in all of our stories, there are echoes of the story. In all of our stories, there are echoes of the story of the God who made you, of the God who loves you, of the Savior who came to trade places with you to set you free. That there really is a rehumanization chamber, and it is the resurrection of Jesus, and it is the love of God that was embodied in him when God's word of love for his people, when God's word of new creation and his promise of life became flesh and dwelled among us, and people tried to kill it, but it wouldn't stay dead, and God raised him from the dead. There really is a rehumanization chamber. And the story of the resurrection of Jesus, it happens at the end of his story on this earth, right? The end of the Gospels, the last chapter tells us a story about the resurrection of Jesus. But for you and me, it is a new beginning. For you and me, it is the opportunity to make a new start and to become what God made us to be. It's sort of like at the beginning of Jesus' own story, right? In the opening chapters of the biographies of Jesus, there are these stories of how Jesus would walk up on the shore of Lake Galilee, and he found these fishermen. Their names are Peter and Andrew and James and John and other names that are famous and those that were never written down. And he said to them, you, come follow me. There was more to those guys than met the eye, and most people couldn't see it, but Jesus did. And Jesus came to them and said, you, come follow me. Right, and I will lead you in the way of life, and, and I'll teach you what God is like, and you can be alive in your souls and know God. And I will empower you and lead you into living lives of love and peace for other people, the way that relationship and community was supposed to be. And I'm going to empower you and lead you into lives that sacrifice and serve for the world. It's as if Jesus was inviting them, come follow me, and I will make you human again. You knew the echo, but I'm going to teach you the song, right? And if Jesus had stayed in the ground, if he was dead, we would not be here today. Nobody would know his name. We would certainly not be getting together on Easter morning. But he is alive. And because of that, he's offering us the same invitation. He sees there's more to you than meets the eye, though probably everybody else is missing it. And he says to you and to us as a people, come follow me. Right? And I will put you in relationship with God. I will show you the heart of the Father. I will empower you and lead you into the kind of relationships and the kind of community that I made you to be. And I will empower you for a life of sacrificial love and service to the world. There really is a rehumanization chamber. It is the empty tomb of Jesus, and it is the journey. It is the lifelong process, the lifelong journey of following Jesus and learning to be human again. We are a community of grace together. We are a community of followers of Jesus whose job it is to support one another in taking these steps, in taking these steps that God invites us to take, that Jesus leads us on. And we organize our life together to do that. And I want to invite you, if Jesus is speaking to your heart, and, and I believe that he is, if he sees that there's more to you than meets the eye, and he says to you, come follow me, let's take those steps. The story of Jesus is full of people who said no to that invitation. The world still is. You can say no if you want to, but you can also say yes. And some of the next steps we're taking together as a church family, one of them starts next Sunday. We're starting a new learning and worship series next Sunday on the book of Revelation, right? The most famous and infamous book in the whole Bible, often misread, often misunderstood. But I think it's the book that tells us that not only is there more to you than meets the eye, but there is more to the world than meets the eye. And we'll join together in learning about that. And if you want to, you can also take a step 
we have a discussion group going along with that. And if you'd like to go a little deeper, talk to some other people, test drive another growth environment that we have here called growth groups, you can come to worship at nine and during our 1030 hour, join one of those growth groups with some other people who are learning more and getting to know people. There'll be a trained leader as part of that. We've got a revelation series and, and a discussion group. And maybe God's inviting you to a next step and you're not sure what it is. In our community, we're all like that. If you want to, come to lunch next week. We've got a thing called the Next Step Lunch, and I'll be there, and some other staff members will be there. And we would love to help you figure out how to take a step to get more deeply connected, to know God, to serve together with other people in God's world. Next Step Lunch is next week. And finally, I bet that the voice of God is echoing around inside of you, prompting you to some kind of more individualized next step in your life, something that has to do with your attitudes and actions and patterns of behavior, relationships, spheres of influence, something that hardly anybody could know but you. And Jesus is inviting you, come follow me here too. And, and if you'd like to respond to God in kind of an individualized sort of way today, we kind of, we created this little prayer tool out in the lobby out there called the response wall. And you can stop out there and there's some cards and pens and markers and clothespins and you can write something on there that's just you saying to God, just between you and God, we're not going to look at names. We're not going to check that. We're not going to follow up. Don't put your name on there. I don't, dude, we, just between you and God. It's just a way of saying, I hear you, God, and I'm in. I'm, I'm responding. If you want to respond in prayer, that's a physical way we can do that. The process, the journey of rehumanization is something we don't accomplish by our own power, right? If it were, we'd all have done it already ourselves. But we can respond to what God is doing in our lives. And I want to pray for God's work, God's life-giving, new-creating, dead-raising, humanizing power in our lives. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your incredible love that became flesh and dwelled among us. Thank you for the new start, for when we fell into noise, your commitment to restore the song. And we pray you would recreate the harmony in our lives, and you would take us back to what you made us for and take us forward into the life you have for us. Lord Jesus, you came to embody God's love for us. You laid down your life to set us free, and we know the echo. Teach us the song. Lord Jesus, put us back in relationship with God. Teach us the heart and the grace of God. We want to have the restored relationships you lead us to. We want to live the lives of service to others that you are leading us toward. We feel the echo. We know it's there. Lead us on. Make us human again. We pray in your name. Amen.